Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John May. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. It was a 10-episode season, and at least three of these characters, uh, these portrayals of these characters, came out of second season of Star Trek Discovery. Well, I mean, really, the captain, one of the first officer in Spock, those characters, of course, originated back in the original pilot for Star Trek new actors, because it's like, what, 50, 60 years later. I've got to say, while I have been liking Discovery and, and Picard and stuff, I really loved this show. It was Trek in all of the right ways. Well, it's funny. I saw an interview recently, and someone basically asked the producers, you know, when you went to the pitch meeting, how did you pitch Strange New Worlds? And they said their pitch was, what if we just made Star Trek? Yeah, it had the episodic aspects. I mean, there was some plot lines going throughout. I mean, we were just talking before we started recording, and like at least five of the characters had significant arcs over the season. The captain, Una, the first officer, uh, Hammer, absolutely. Yes. You know. The security officer, Lon. Yeah, Lon Nguyen and Cadet uh, Uhura. Yeah. So, I mean, they had an idea where they were going with this season. I didn't feel there were any episodes that were just kind of fluff or filler or whatever, but I was also surprised by the range of some of the episodes. Because mm. there are some that if you aren't really paying attention or, or watching or whatever, if you're just kind of aware of them, it's like, oh, they're doing a comedy one with a body swap thing. It's like, no, there was some actual serious relationship stuff going on there. And uh, a good side arc for you know negotiating to be in the Federation, things like that. There was another one that felt like it was a holodeck kind of adventure, almost. Now, granted, this is before holodecks, and it was a, a fairy taleish storybook kind of a story, but it all fit in the story. And there were one or two things where it's like, okay, the, the way it came about was a little, I'm going to say far-fetched, but it worked. Very different kind of a story. And then the next one was almost a horror, thriller, space set kind of a yeah. creature goes bump in the night kind of a thing. But tied into things they'd been setting up all season. Absolutely. So they had from the, the almost more lighthearted or whimsical to the, the more serious type stuff. And they clearly, like I said, had written the thing out, knew where they were going with this. Mm-hmm. Things played out well. The characters played out well. When there is a, a major death at one point of a character, it hit home. It You know, you feel it. Yes. And it was a character they hadn't actually spent all that much screen time on? No, but they built him up nicely. He was in six of the episodes, spaced out over nine. And used very eight, because he, well, technically he was in the first, but like he's beaming on board, so you see him for like less than 20 seconds. Yeah. But while sparingly used, when he was used, he was used exceedingly well. Yes. And overall, I really liked this crew of the ship. Mm Mm-hmm. They were personable. They're, they had some very uh, different attitudes and such. Because there are some crews, uh, Discovery is one of them, and Picard for that matter, where I just never warm up to all of the, the characters. This was a community. 
Yes. Well, and that was so clear from the second episode when Uhura is invited to you know, dinner with the captain and he's got most of the bridge crew and a number of others in there. And when Pike was introduced in Discovery, beginning of second season, the captain first season, Lorca, had betrayed the crew and this was very much the anti-Lorca. Yes. But as I'm watching him in this season, he's kind of sort of the anti-Picard. Yeah. It took Picard seven full seasons to start socializing with his crew. Here, Pike's doing that aggressively, assertively at the beginning. Well, and there are a lot of commanding officers who think that you have to be separate from those you command. It's not just commanding officers. It's a management style. You, you, you're sitting above and apart from, and it's like, okay. Well, but, I mean, you look at, they have the crew mess and the officers mess. Yes, yes. No, absolutely. I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying it goes beyond that and stuff. And it's a very pronounced stratification of layers. And I think from when they set him up in Discovery to where they use him here, he's a much more personable captain and character Mm -hmm. as a result of that. And a much funner character. Because there are a couple of times he's cracking jokes on the bridge. And, you know, very much a let's have fun while we do all of this attitude. Well, he's a really compelling leader for a lot of reasons. Yes. And part of it is let's think back to because we've gotten used to Star Trek The Next Generation. The families are on board, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But we have to put our mind back to this is before the original series. So the families are not on board. There are civilians. Not everybody's a Starfleet officer. They established that when they had a few deaths. Yeah. Technically, I think Nurse Chapel is not a Starfleet officer. No, she's... On loan from somewhere. Or yeah, something. yeah. You know, but these are people who, I mean, maybe they get into a relationship on board, but that's probably highly frowned upon. But these are people who have chosen to put their career first. Yes. Well, and in the time of Discovery, they were on a five-year mission away from... Whereas here, they go back to Earth a number of times, so it's a little less long distance yeah. than at that point, but still, yeah. Well, and he's caring for the welfare of his crew. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the episode where we're down on the planet trying to figure out what happened to the Illyrians, and the captain wants to be basically the last one back. Oh, yeah. It's not quite the go down with the ship mentality, but... It's the, I'm not going back till I know everyone of my people is safe. His job is to take care of the crew. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the nicknames I've seen online for him that rubs me the wrong way, they call him Captain Daddy. It's funny because I can definitely see that for a couple of reasons. He's very much the father figure. Yeah. Most of the other characters, other than the Doctor and Hammer and Una, are significantly younger. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at times how it felt like this was being crewed by children. I mean, it's not, but no, as yeah. I get older, the, the crew seems younger. Well, and part of it is, I mean, we've got a cadet on the bridge. Yes. And stuff like that. So yeah, definitely. Obviously, Uhura the cadet, young. The pilot, security officer, certainly the transporter chief of Kyle, who's a second or third dairy character or whatever. Yeah. They all seem rather young. Yeah. One or two of the other characters we see sporadically on the bridge that get named, they seem young. So even Sam Kirk didn't seem that old. No. At that age where he's sporting the mustache, I think, to look older. Yes. And this is an actor who was on first season or two of Good Witch over on the Hallmark Channel. Oh, that's funny. They use a lot of Canadian actors Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. They're up in Canada. Some of this was during the pandemic or whatnot. 
and they've already shot the second season. I don't know when that's going to start, but I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. This pushed all of the right Star Trek buttons for me. I totally agree with that. Now, there are some places where ostensibly it's set in the Prime universe, but there are enough discontinuities with it that I think an argument could be made that either it is or it isn't in that timeline. Well, everybody assumes they're in the Prime universe. And by that, I mean, I assume I am in the Prime universe because my universe is Prime. I get that. But when you look at the IMDb pages and they're like, this is a continuity error because it doesn't jive with the original series. And it's like, I get that. But I mean, you look at the ship. Yeah. And while the bridge, I think they did a great job of capturing the look, the style, the sensibility of the original Star Trek bridge, but mirroring it with modern tech. So it looks modern, but it looks the layout and the design is the same as the original one, even if some of the switches are less plastic, bubbly, you know, gumdrop looking things and more tech by modern standard looking things. I have a nagging feeling that Uhura's chair has been moved slightly to the left. And I say that because she There are two stations. She was operating at one that was a little further at almost the the nine o'clock on the dial versus more at the 11 o'clock. Is that because she frequently, she ended up at a station that was directly behind the captain. And I'm like, I remember in the original series watching the shots where you so easily saw her in the background behind the captain. I'd have to take a closer look at this bridge, but it feels like the turbo lift is a little differently located here than it was in the original series. Not massively, but, you know, 10, 15 degrees off, if you will. Which would have shifted her that little bit to be directly behind the captain. And there seems to be two stations... There's kind of Spock's another station in, in what was hers or something like that. I, again, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd have to take a closer look at the actual layout. I'm, I'm getting sucked into the story enough. Well, yeah, exactly. And the reason I noticed it was there were one or two times where, you know, Uhura is clearly behind the captain's chair. He goes to sit in the chair and we've lost our sight line to her. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, mm, that didn't used to happen, I didn't think. What got me is when you're at Spock's station, it's got the little viewfinder screen mm-hmm. thing that he looks into that looks enough like what he had in the old show. Hers has kind of that that half circle kind of arc design to it. And they've mm-hmm. captured again the sensibility, the style, the the earpiece and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think all of these actors who are taking over an existing role have to balance what the character was like originally, particularly Ethan Peck with Spock. I think mm-hmm. he's doing a great job. And he's not even the first person to take over as Spock, because really Zachary Quinto from the movies kind of did that. He's making it his own, yet it feels like Spock. Yeah. So there's an aspect of, as a viewer, how much of this do you just chalk up to the storyteller interpretation, if you will? Different actor, different set design, different time frame of production, etc. Versus, you know, Spock's quarters or the captain's, captain's quarters is probably the best example. It's got a kitchen. It's got a kitchen. It's got a fireplace stove sort of a thing. Yeah. It's, it's got this huge layout. It's, it's party central, literally. I mean, I, I'm convinced the quarters are currently twice as big as they were in the original series. Oh, four or five times, I think. If this series doesn't end with the ship getting sent to dry dock and all quarters being cut in half so that they can double the crew complement. I'll be disappointed. I'd have to check what the crew compliment was in the original series versus what they're saying here, but that would be funny. (laughs) 
But the design sensibility even of the hallways is yeah. different. Well, the-, the only time that bothered me, though, was when they had the light-borne yes. virus and they still had the lights on in the hallway. It's like, dude, turn the lights off. Sick bay. Sick bay is huge. Oh, sick bay is radically different. At one point, they had chalked it up to they had opened up a- Auxiliary or auxiliary something? something or other yeah. for it. But where but, uh, Mabanga's office, which I love the design for- very different than McCoy's. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, Mabanga is a character from the original series, and he was a doctor that worked under McCoy, who was chief medical officer of the Enterprise. Yet here we are prior to that time frame, Mabanga's chief medical officer. I think Mabanga's going to get in trouble, get demoted. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, they can address all these things. I'm just wondering, do they need to be beholden to the old stuff? Can they do something that establishes this is unbeknownst to them prior to now, a different timeline. I guess, and spoilers for Superman and Lois uh, (laughs) here, where they had decided essentially at the end of the second season, oh yeah, we're in a different world than the Arrowverse. Yeah. And that annoyed me. I guess what I'm saying here is I I would be okay if they decided to establish this is adjacent and parallel to, but not the actual prime timeline. Well, part of me thinks it would be amusing if at some point, they discover one of the consequences of what they did in season two of Discovery was creating an offshoot timeline that they're now in. They could do everything from the time crystal stuff, because in Discovery, they actually used footage from the original series. Yes. And they cut from, I guess, the Jeffrey Hunter Pike to the Anson Mount Pike. There's a lot of ways they could do that. And I'm less concerned about, are they towing the line of, those continuity threads from the original series or not, they're capturing the style, the tone, the the nature of Trek. Well, the the social commentary and get you think aspect. I mean, right from the start, when we have the first contact gone wrong. That, I think, was their best social commentary episode. That was beautiful. How many of the ones after that did you feel were good social commentary? Uh, less so. But I kind of liked the Lindy Booth episode for that. That was good social commentary. That one I agree with, with the the child ascending. Yes. That was that was well done. You know, um, that part of what I loved in that was basically, would you choose to live in poverty rather than know someone was suffering so that you could have Camelot? If, if, if somebody's going to suffer in your society, can you institutionalize it and isolate it and and pay tribute to those who suffer. Yes. Can you can you feel their suffering is good and worthwhile because you you honor and praise their suffering. The thing about that episode that got me story-wise I thought it was was smooth. It had some great stuff. But when there's the chase scene out in the the courtyard or whatever. Yeah. And at first they're running on these pathways and you can see that there are no railings and there's this huge drop off because it's a floating city sort of a thing. But then you cut to they're running just on a you know campus somewhere. And it's like suddenly these these paths with the gaps between them and stuff the, the the gaps are gone. And I think that was just you know again production constraints and whatnot. Yeah, it uh, just seemed like man, you cut that corner too close or too far and you go falling. I actually thought the Illyrians episode was interesting in terms of the. What would you do? What would you give up to be acceptable to an organization like the Federation? Well, it's funny because that was also one that felt very 
old school trek. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. And I loved the unintended consequences of trying to meet someone else's criteria. Yeah. The building they used for that that outpost or whatever it was is a place up, obviously, in Canada where they're filming and stuff. And they just found some great architecture to use as, as kind of an alien setting or whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. Because, I mean, you could have just as easily told me that was all CG and stuff. I, don't, I mean, obviously, that would have cost more to do, but that was that was smoothly done. It was a fun episode. We're going to see some of the fallout of some of that, I think, next season based on where this season ended. I hope so. Yes. I wouldn't cast it as social commentary, but I enjoyed the Mahanit episode. I think that was social commentary to a degree, because it's just because you don't believe doesn't mean they're wrong. Don't believe or don't understand. I would like to see, not next season, but at some point, a follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I would almost follow up to that in Discovery. Now, see, and that's an excellent idea. Because that way it's yeah. 900 plus years later. Yeah. I was mostly thinking in terms of the, just because you communicate this way doesn't mean everyone communicates the way you do. Mm-hmm. But also the, I don't think Mahani was predicting the future. Mahani knew what needed to happen. I think that one's open to interpretation as to what really went down on some of this. And it could just as easily been an advanced predictive algorithm kind of a thing as anything else. Mm. But not only was that an interesting concept, and again, hearkening back to old school Trek, it was a good episode for Uhura. Mm -hmm. It really Uh, was. A good episode, I think, for, for Spock, certainly for Pike and stuff. And I really don't feel for the most part any character got the short end of the scripts this season. I know. I Well. I was going to say, with one exception. Yeah, thank you. And that's the pilot. Erica Ortega, who is a great character and well used when used, but usually in a supporting position, never got an episode focused on her. Yeah. But she was in like every episode in a meaningful way. I was going to say, Sam Kirk is only there so that we can meet his brother at the end. I don't consider him main cast. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. He's only in half the episodes. I never really figured out the point of having him there other than to have somebody named Kirk do the things that McCoy would do. Yeah. Well, and he he really annoyed me in, I guess it was uh, All Those Who Wander, the second from the last episode. Because isn't he the one who's supposed to understand alien cultures? Yeah. And he goes off on Spock? Yeah. Yeah, I felt that was out of character and just wrong on so many levels. And then in the last episode, his whole point was to basically give a personality rundown of his brother for for Pike. Yeah. We did get Kirk, Jim Kirk, in the last episode. The actor did fine, but I didn't look at him and think, yeah, that's Kirk. I didn't feel the writing was Kirk. And I'm not just saying that the intonation and the whole... (laughs) No, there were a couple of things where the, let me borrow a shuttle and I'll pretend to be a fleet or whatever... I didn't expect him to provide said fleet, but those things felt like Kirk. Okay. So there were aspects of that, but I don't know, the whole thing fell a little flat, and the whole the whole point of having Sam along for, for the ride most of the season, I didn't see the point of it. I don't know, I don't really see Kirk as the one making a fake fleet. I do see him as the one who says we should just shoot them. Well, the bluff, in this case, okay. having the, the stuff to, to change the rules and Basically, pull a con on on the Romulans. Okay, I'll, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. So, yeah. and the way they pulled the main plot line for that last episode harkened back to things they had established in a way that used them differently, but played fair enough. 
from what, Discovery. From Discovery, from what yeah. had been set up there. That it's like, okay, can Pike avoid his fate or not? Should he or not? That was one of the episodes where the nurse was in like a scene. Yeah. Whereas other times she's had some great material. Yeah. And been well used. In mainly in service to Spock's storyline. Yes. And I'm okay with that. Because that, I think, harkens back to, again, some of what was in the original series. Yeah. We haven't talked really about the radical empathy in negotiating with the aliens. I thought that whole negotiation sequence where we get some footage of them with the Tellarites and they're acting very Tellarite. They encounter Pike and they act very much like Pike. They are sitting down with Spock. They act very Vulcan. And Pike kind of figures out, here's what's going on. And... Instead of going for the obvious, they go a little bit of a twist or whatever. And I thought that whole thing played out very interestingly and well. And I'd like to see that race come back in future seasons mm -hmm. just to see how this does play out. Yeah. So I thought that was that was a fun plot line. And really, some of the stuff they did, again, with the Doctor's daughter, setting that up, initially played into the episode where that arc kind of resolves they had enough writing where they set the seeds for later things mm -hmm. that it didn't feel like it was 10 disconnected episodes. I should look up how many episodes T'Pring was in. She was in six episodes. She was in six. She did quite a bit. I mean, that kind of surprised me. Going back to the original series. Well, the scene they basically do as a dream sequence for Spock that's a riff on him fighting Kirk. Yes. In the original series. They do some fun stuff like that. They're mm -hmm. clearly aware of the original series at a deep level. Yeah. They just don't feel they've got to be beholden to it in every way, shape, and form. Now, I'm okay with that. A couple of times, I think, again, they need to make a little clearer break at times, or a clearer stand on that. I just can't remember, didn't T'Pring end up marrying someone else? Stan, who actually showed up. When she was at the uh, rehabilitation right. center, and she gets the, the call from the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. She says, thank you, Stom. Oh, thank you. Okay. Stom was the one she winds up marrying in the original series. Okay. So again, little tidbits like yeah. that, that if, if you catch them, you catch them. If you don't, you don't. Not a big deal. I felt like I should have seen who she ended up with, and I was missing. And this would answer certain questions like, how was Ponfar not known about on the Enterprise if it's an every seven-year thing and Spock's been on there like 10 years or something? Mm-hmm. Now we've got an idea. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I thought she was well used and really kind of fleshed out, again, some of the, really about the only character who had an off-ship life was Spock with her. Name anyone else who we really, well, I- Almost Pike. Almost Pike with the other captain. Yeah, almost. And the Admiral that starts off the season. Oh, yes. I should know his name. Admiral Robert April? April, yes. I was going to say Robert April, one of the other captains of the Enterprise previously. Blanket on the name. He only showed up in like two, three episodes. Yeah. But they they really established some fun stuff. Hemmer, the engineer, I really, again, love that character. One of the things I do want to mention on him, okay, the actor is vision impaired yes. severely and, and plays- played a blind character. Right. But what I want to mention is when they approached the actor about the character, they laid out the arc for him and told him, this is the end of the character- this is, and the reason I mention that is there are so many people who I think would assume, oh, I bet the production got tired of working around. Or he got the tired vision, of the makeup because yes. he's playing an Andorian. Yes. Or, you know, make yeah. 
so many assumptions about, you know, some challenge with production. But he was told up front, it'll be X number of episodes. You are going to have an arc. You are going to explore, basically, what is your purpose in life? And you are going to help other characters recognize what is their purpose in life. Well, let's face it. Being chief engineer on the Enterprise, that's Scotty's job. And to have another character do that and make a, a meaningful impact as that. Yeah. I was impressed by. I really was too. And I loved not only his interactions with Uhura when she was on rotation. Some of the interactions between those two, I think, were some of the best stuff in the season. I loved when he, and with any other character, I would say when he called her on her fear. But that's not how he did it. It, it was a gentler scene than that. It was a compassionate scene. Yes, it was a paternal scene. It really was. And they built up the relationship from you have to impress me to we're friends now. Yeah. I can I can help you with this. I mm -hmm. you know. I, I was impressed with how they, they built that arc and that character of Hemmer so quickly, so efficiently, so effectively. You know, that may be why the Captain Daddy thing annoys me, because Pike to me is a great leader and a great mentor. Hemmer really came through as the paternal figure for a lot of the characters. Like, look at him with Mbanga and Mbanga's daughter in Elysian Fields. Yes. Or Elysian Kingdom, sorry. You know, especially when you get to the end of the episode and Hemmer has said, you know, yes, I'm telepathic. That's how I was able to stay immune. Communicating with telepathically with whatever yeah. this entity is, is downright painful. But he was willing to take another try to help Mbanga and his daughter. Well... He is very much a helper. Again, his goal mm. is mission in life to fix that which is broken or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think included a, a bit of the broken heart aspect yeah. too. And and the daughter having been medically broken. Yeah. Now, Hemmer, I think, was a, a just an awesome character. And in the final episode where we do a little time jump for part of it, we don't see Scotty, but we hear Scotty. He's not called Scotty, but, you know, engineer with that kind of a thing. Mm. Not a miracle worker on the Enterprise at that time frame. That accent, oh yeah. Gotta be Scotty. Yeah. I am curious who voiced that. I didn't think to, to check. But again, they, they did just some great fun stuff in this season. You know, Hemmer had a bond with Spock to the point that the two worked together basically to haze Uhura. Any character that can bond with Spock, mm -hmm. you gotta love out of the gate. Well, there's an aspect of the two... Being, I don't want to say the token aliens on board, but the very visibly alien. Yes. Because we didn't see too many others that I recall, if any others, that were that obvious they're not Earthborn or what have you, or some variant thereof. So I was expecting a little bit more with uh, Noonien Soon tying into Khan and all of that, but they may just be setting scenes for future stuff. And number one had her arc. And was, was used, but that was probably the character I think could have used a little bit more work, and I'm not sure exactly what's making me feel that way. She was almost the, the mother hen of the group, but not quite. There were a lot of times when it felt like they didn't know what to do with her. Mm -hmm. It seemed like they knew she was Pike's confidant, but how close was that relationship? They couldn't quite decide. We almost needed one episode where Pike was out of commission for some reason. And she had to basically save the day or run the mm -hmm. ship. I mean, we got 
an episode where she saves the day, but not in a she's not Pike, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You didn't compare and contrast them that way. Mm-hmm. Well, we got her portrayed as where fun goes to die. Yes. She seemed like the least fun character of the group is what it came down to. And I don't think that did her any good. No, no. Now, she was kind of fun when we encountered the pirates. And she got on board really quickly with the Alpha Braga. Yeah, but the whole thing there seems like she's always just indulging Pike. Yes. Not that she's always on board and supportive, but just, oh, there he goes with his wacky stuff again. Mm -hmm. I need to rewatch the short trek of Spock's first day on the Enterprise because it's basically him and her get stuck in a turbo lift. And she sings. She sings. And it comes down to their, she's got a Vulcan-ish aspect to her as well, Mm -hmm. almost. So, although the funny thing is there, I think at that point, there's talk of the prime directive, yet the one where they're negotiating with the the race that it was acting like the Tellarites, et cetera, et cetera. At that point, it was not yet called the prime directive very clearly. So there are a few times where I don't think- It got changed to prime directive- uh, in the first episode of the season. They mentioned that in one of the final scenes of that episode. It was rule number one or something like that, but now they're doubling down and calling it the prime directive. Well, maybe that's the scene I'm thinking of then, of how did you get us out of trouble with yes. this? That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. It's not. It was set in the same room or whatever. Yeah. But this is obviously well after Spock's first day, if they're talking about it there and it wasn't called this to double down on yet, you know. Yeah. Minor continuity glitch, not a big deal. But those are the sorts of things, like when Uhura's during her rotation in the security stuff, and there's the various rules of security or whatever the exact phrasing was, and all of it was pitched such that it implied it was Nunyan Soong's rules, not like it's Starfleet-wide or something, or even Enterprise-wide. And at this point, Nunyan Soong's been on the ship since the first episode, so the same amount of time as Uhura. Yeah. Yet everybody on the ship seems to know what rule three is or seven or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I can see where they make a mark or whatever, but even the captain knew these things. And it's like, had he gone through security training with her? Or, I don't know. It It's unclear how much time elapses during some episodes and certainly between episodes. Yes. So there's a lot of opportunity during this first season for novels to be set and things like that to be explored a lot deeper if they want to. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad we read uh, The Enterprise War. Yeah. Which was kind of where Pike and the crew were during the Klingon War. Yeah, that's sort of a prequel leading up to Discovery Season 2. Yeah. And then we we rewatched like two and a half episodes. Pike's introduction, first episode of the season. The episode where he does the time stuff that gives him his vision of the future. And then the scenes out of one of the other episodes that tie into the Talos 4 or whatever stuff that plays into all of that. And then getting that kind of a background, you know, reminder, because it's been a few seasons. We had two full seasons of Discovery since. And I'm I'm unclear at the end of season two of Discovery versus start of season one of Strange New Worlds, how much time has elapsed. Enough time to repair Enterprise. Multiple times, I think. Pike is not easy on ships. Well, true, but he's grown a beard and Enterprise has been in dry dock since Discovery disappeared. That's basically what gets said when the shuttle You're comes right. down while he's on the horse. You're right. You're right. They do put the stuff in there. It's just easy to miss sometimes or easy to forget. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, though, I just thought this was a ton of fun. I thought the effects were solid. Yeah. The story was good. 
I think doing 10 episodes versus, say, 13, there was no fluff to cut here. I agree with that, yeah. So. I can't wait to see where they go next season. They've already filmed it. I'm sure they're going to be starting on the third before too long. I definitely hope season two starts up soon. This is the kind of track I want to be watching. I agree. Wholeheartedly. I think it's so much better than Picard and even Discovery. Yeah. So, anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.